Pam Ochoa, my question for you today is how much did you enjoy it when kids showed up face to face in your class this week? Oh, it was a delight. Let me tell you, because, you know, I didn't realize how much I'd miss those kids. Mm-hmm. But when when they showed up and I was just like, oh, come on in, let's sit down. I mean, it was exciting. The kids all, well, I couldn't see their smiles, but you could see it in their eyes that they were excited <laughs> to be there. I think it was probably the most calm the kids have ever been maybe in my entire career, they were just excited. So, I mean, there was no, they were just like, it was strange to them. And you could tell that they just needed to be, you know, calmed down a little bit, you know, like, hey, it's okay. And we're all going to make this together. So it was kind of an an interesting situation, I think. So when they're like showing up, walk me, I want to hear this, walk me through kind of just like the range of stuff that happens. So what period did you have kids? Did you start off first period with them or did you have to wait? Oh, no, I started off at 8 o'clock because the way they chose to do it is, you know, we can't social distance. And used to, the kids would go to the gym or they would go to the cafeteria or they would go wherever, Mm -hmm. you know, was assigned to them and wait. And then so I would have like maybe gym duty and I would be talking to the kids that way. But we have to social distance. So the kids come straight from the bus or from their parents' uh, car and from their walking experience and they come straight to my room. So that the, the neat part about that was I was able to talk to them first as they came in before the, the bell rang. And so we were just talking, how was it going? Things like that. You could tell that they were excited to, to be there. So uh, I had them starting at uh, 8.05, they started coming in, and my class started at 8.40. So I had them for several, like 25 minutes there uh, without any instruction, just talking about what to do. A lot of them had questions about things they didn't understand online, so I was able to kind of talk to them about that, um, how to set up their books and craft books and things like that. So anybody who had, had questions, I was able to answer. But you could tell they were relieved to be there. They were excited about their friends. They started talking to each other. It was just kind of neat. It was really energizing. Very energizing for me, too. I forgot how much I missed them. And I couldn't have had a better intro, guys. Welcome to Crafted Draft with Pam Ochoa and Jacob Chastain. So I can only second everything you said. So I, you know, I've talked about this. For people who follow me on Instagram or whatever, uh, I just don't do not working well. And, you know, I, you're kind of in in the same boat, I feel like, to where, like, you just worked your whole life. You've done multiple jobs. You've always been busy. And even though, like, distance learning, you know, we were still working. We were still interacting with kids. It's, it's just not the same and when we were doing our digital learning and then we we did our digital learning for two weeks and then we jumped into kids face-to-face, I got to tell you, like, people were – a lot of people were stressed out because we were balancing stuff. But every problem for me about all, you know, Canvas and attendance and everything else that we were trying to do, it just, like, faded away because – when you know, like distance learning, like when you're sitting at a computer all day, anyone can interrupt you at any time and ask you to do anything, right? Like it's just a constant barrage of mm-hmm. people asking you to do this, asking you a question, coming and doing this. But when you have a class in your room, guess what they can't do? They can't tell you to go do something else because you got to teach. 
That's true. I hadn't. I didn't have any interruptions. And that that in and of itself was great because even though I liked conferencing with students digitally and talking with them about their work, when we were in person, it was so much more fulfilling because I could go from one kid to the next for their their conferences. I could go to a kid that might not jump on a Zoom because they're just not used to that format, and it's it's weird to jump on a Zoom with a teacher that you kind of have know and talk to them about something personal like you're writing or something like that. So I could go sit with them, build those relationships real time, have those interactions, and I got to tell you. I was just, I was on cloud nine. I'm still on cloud nine. I'm so freaking happy to have kids back. Like it's, I I love what I do. I really do. So I I can only imagine like every day I was like, man, I bet Pam is just in the exact same spot. Just super pumped that these kids are around her. Oh yeah. But I I was, and I am, I still am. I mean, I can't wait. We're going to start our book clubs um, and all of that this next week. So I'm really excited about that. But uh, no, it w- but what was really neat or interesting this time around is for the first time ever, I knew the kids before they got there. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a unique situation because, you know, I mean, I, d- I might not have done their faces, but yeah. I'd already been working with them. So when they came in, I was like, oh, okay, so you're so-and-so, you know, oh, you're so, you know, and I could get in there and I'm like, oh, so how's your how's your grandma doing? You know, whoever I had talked to and stuff like that on the, on that zoom meeting. So it was kind of neat in a way to start the first day already knowing these children in some form or fashion. It wasn't our exact first meeting. And so there were some things that were already set up, which I thought made that really unique considering, uh, you know, all the past years where the first time they walk in is the first time you see them. You have no idea what the kids are going to be like, but you know, you know, but here you already know. You already kind of know who's a who's a worker, who's not a worker. I already knew which kids love to read and which kids love to write, and which ones didn't love to work or do anything at all. Which I have one or two of those. We're going to work on those. And I think face to face, I'll be able to help them better. I think online, if if we just stayed online, those kids, I think I, I don't know how I could have turned them, or you know, they're now my my project, so to speak, to see if I can get them uh, tuned in to, to love and to read and write. But uh, online made it a little bit more difficult. I do. I still have kids online though. So I do both. Yeah. Well, okay. So real, I want to hit on that real quick because Mm -hmm. um, for those who are, have been keeping up with our episodes and our podcast, you know, this is episode three, but we, we started this a while ago and then we kind of banked two episodes early. Um, and then we did the typical teacher thing of procrastinating recording the next one. So this is the one that's in real time. So we skipped ahead in terms of time of when the podcast aired. So the last podcast ended with us going into digital learning for two weeks. Um, And like you said, it was really interesting to be able to have kids digitally and kind of see their work habits and kind of get them to know that way. I'm in a little bit different situation because I looped up with my kids, but um, I still have new kids that I didn't have before. So I was learning them through their digital work. I was learning through their writing, who would show up to Zooms, who wouldn't, who I didn't hear from, who wouldn't turn anything in in Canvas, just like you said, right? The kid's not doing stuff. And the one point I think is the most valid point, and this is why... I've been an advocate for going back to school safely, right, is those kids who don't have the support to 
do what they need to do online, who don't learn well online, who might have, you know, English might be their second language. So reading text all the time through Canvas and navigating the digital world of um, whatever digital classroom you have, even if you're making videos, like there are so many barriers to entry in a digital landscape that it cannot ever possibly serve all of our learners, right? I mean, this is... Mm -hmm. Uh, this just got like put on blast so much, which is why, you know, it, unfortunately, um, and fortunately at the same time, like what we do is vastly important to the well being of so many kids. Teachers are so important in terms of like, you know, even like if you're not that good at differentiating, right? Let's say you're a first year, second year, third year, heck, even like seventh year teacher and like differentiation, um, is a struggle sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Just by being a human being, you are already being differentiated for kids, right? Because if I put out a lesson online, I can only differentiate it so much. It's automatically limited by just the avenues. Just by being online, it's limiting its existence. But as a human, right, as a person, a real-life human being, when I'm sitting there with a kid – I can differentiate really easily just by changing my language. If I see a kid struggling, I might come at them with a different tone, right? That does not come across in an email. If a kid says, Chastain, I need help, if he uh, messages me, my message back is still going to be read in his head and doesn't get interpreted the way that I might say it in class. So to your point, this is like that, just having those nuances of, man, I, we, there are kids that we are going to lose if we stay digital forever or kids that decide to stay digital. Like I have a few right now who I'm deeply concerned about because they are digital. They're not doing much. They don't seem like they have a lot of support at home. And as a teacher, I'm like, I mean, what do I do? It it is difficult to differentiate. And when you're sitting there trying to figure out how am I going to do this? And I've got all these students. I have a teacher that's a friend of mine who's actually all online. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of her biggest questions has been, how do I differentiate? How do I make sure that I meet all of these accommodations? And so uh, that's definitely been a challenge. And I'm really grateful that I do have most of my students are on, are face-to-face with me because I've already had to say, you know, bring them up to my desk, so to speak, you know, in a safe way. But, you know, conference with them and all those kinds of things where I'm like, okay, let's sit down and figure this out. Uh, and so I've been able to do some of that where I wouldn't do it easily online. So we've been we've been talking a lot about how do you differentiate and accommodate for these students who are struggling. So, so it's been an interesting thing. My my question to you, and I don't even know if we've talked about this off air, so this might be new information to me, okay. which is um, we went about setting up uh, our craft and draft journals relatively the same way. Um, we both decided to... Uh, still use paper journals, right? Use physical, even for mm-hmm. digital kids. Um, yeah. Paper is king in literacy. Um, there's tons of research to support why it's useful um, mm-hmm. to have kids write on actual paper and read on actual paper as much as possible. Um, obviously, we had some limitations to that because of digital learning. But um, for the most part, they were still doing their uh, their work in their craft book and draft books. And I wanted to ask you how, uh, one, how did you go about introducing your journals digitally at first? And then two, how well 
did kids keep up with the paper side of things in your digital classroom for those first two weeks? Okay. Well, first of all, I started a video and I went, I took, you know, I think I said this earlier, I took one picture at a time of each in, you know, like a, a screen, a picture, and then I created a slideshow. And then from there, I turned it into a video and I talked the kids, the students through how to set it up by setting up my own. And so that was one of the things that I did. And then I made sure that that link was up every day. So it would say, if you still are confused about your journal, you need to either Zoom me, message me, or rewatch this video. And so I would have that every you know, every day on the overview or on mm -hmm. the announcements. And so that was one of the things that I did. I did notice that my honor students, they felt, I mean, I think I only have one student in all of my honors kids that was lost. So, that, I mean, it really worked well for them. And uh, they just, and I even had some students say, uh, even message me on Canvas and said, thank you for the the online, you're the only one doing the notebook, and it's really helping me organize my work. And so that was one of the things she said. I'm like, okay, okay, can can you say that on? <laughs> can, 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 wait, can we redo that? I was I wasn't expecting that, so that was exciting. And then there was another girl said, look, here are my journals, and it's working. You know, so they were real excited. So for the honors. Online, it just didn't seem to be too much of, a, of an issue. My English language learners seem to be having the most difficulty with it, mm -hmm. uh, and so online especially. So those are the ones that I'm actually bringing to that that have come to school, which almost all of those have come to school. And I have several. As a matter of fact, speaking of Zoom meetings, in my on-level class, when it came to Zoom meetings, it seemed like the one that was the most consistent in the Zoom meeting was the one who spoke absolutely no English. Now, my husband did speak Spanish, but he's no longer with me. So, uh, me trying to say hola was a little bit difficult. <laughs> So we were both using, and then her mama came on, you know, I'm using Google Translate. I said, so am I. So anyway, this was an exciting moment, but, but she tried so hard. She was able to, right. to do, she's, when she came up, she still had a lot of work, even if it was copying some of the stuff. But when it comes to the, my online students, I would say probably about a 60, 40 split, 60 of them. 60% uh, of them really understood the journal system by doing it that way. And then mm -hmm. several of them, I would, I would call them, you know, do you under, or message them? Do you understand? Message their parents. Do you understand? And, and I think, I think, boy, with online, you just have to keep at it. You have to make those phone calls. You have to make sure they understand it. And, but one of the other things that would happen is I, I had to teach the students how to take pictures. Yep. You know, I so I had mm -hmm. to go through and I had to do a lesson on how to, you know, how do you upload a video? How do you upload? I mean, so things that we take for granted because these students are actually on the computers. I mean, they grew up with computers. So that was kind of a shocker to me is they, they grow up on the phone. They grow up with these smartphones. They play games all the time. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are technologically literate. Yeah. Well, that's the case. Well, we see that too when... Um, uh, you know, we assume kids like know what a URL is or know how mm -hmm. to hyperlink something like that just because they live in like this digital age. And, you know, they, they might know hashtags and stuff, but they might not know how those things interact 
in the real world. And you see this when you do research, like kids will like, they'll just Google something. And then the first thing that pops up, you know, how Google will have researches now to where it'll literally, it'll like put a paragraph at the top of whatever you're looking for. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean it's from a good source, right? It, True. It, it, and, and even if it is from a good source, the, you can only cite that if you know how to actually go into the website and cite it. I had so many, so many sixth graders over the years who try to cite Google as a source. And it's just like, <laughs> right. Wikipedia. Um, yeah, yeah. And Google. It just, uh, yeah. But that, the technology thing, that was really interesting. And that's the, the more funny and sad, you know, memes out there in social media about teaching right now is that, you know, teachers, not only are we, you know, therapists and educators and um, supporters and everything else, but we're also now tech support and everything else because it's, that's uh, literally so, the, that, the first week of digital learning, really, I mean, the whole time of that first two weeks where every kid was online, it was almost 100% tech support. Like, that's what I was spending my time doing was helping yes. kids fix passwords, helping kids log into stuff, helping them realize, mm-hmm. like, no, you have to go into Canvas this way, otherwise you're going to miss assignments. And it was, I mean, it was a hot mess. Right. It was. But I, I will tell you that that I am so thankful, well, that I ended up using the online, not the online, the uh the craft and draft mm-hmm. uh, notebook, the physical notebooks. Uh, and, and the reason I am is right now I can, even if they can't figure out the technology, they're now back yep. in my classroom. And I said, okay, show me your notebook. Yep. And they showed me their notebook. And I mean, I could, they, they were doing all the work. So I could actually bypass canvas and where they had missing grades because they didn't know how to upload or something like that, I was able to put those grades in for them because I had that there in front of me. And plus, they they knew right where to find it. They were using the table of contents, and uh, you know, now it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I, I tr- trust me. I've taken my own physical ones and sat down with them and said, "Okay, on page one, do this." And I mean, I'm yeah. confer- some of my conferences have been, "Let's set this up." Now, one of the things that I did realize is if I don't get this notebook set up, I'm I'm done. I'm done because that's my system. That's what makes my class. That's the unifying uh, component that I have in my in my room to make sure that when I tell them where to place things, they know where to place things, where to mm-hmm. where to write. And it's really working well with the writing. We've written at least five or six pieces already as far as like the students writing and they're getting to choose their own things. And they now just chose a piece for publication. And we've used that journal system to make all of that happen. So it's been really, it's been a really good thing. Well, and you know, I, for people listening, um, I do want – it's so funny that the craft and draft is so – like I, I'm – you and I are infinitely amazed that we designed this thing because <laughs> – yes. well, because we, we did it out of desperation, right? Yes. We were trying yes. to teach – we were trying to teach teachers about workshop, but we're also just trying to find like a journal system that worked for workshop. Um, right. Because even though, you know, like I love Penny Kittle's journals and she makes them intricate and she draws in them and I'm in, I'm infinitely in awe of what the Penny Kittle does and Kelly Gallagher oh, yeah. and all of them. They're they're amazing, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, but in, uh, specifically, like in middle school, and just for like um, holding lessons somewhere, um, the the craft book in general, having kids 
distilling our lessons down onto a page roughly and getting everything they need on there and getting the text that they need and the word work that they need and everything else, it gives us, it's like a constant home base that we get to go to. And like you said, like when I was conferencing with kids in person, um, some kids, like they had nothing turned in digitally and I was like, Hey, can I look at your craft book? And like, sure. And we were talking and they had all the work in there. Um, also, they were able to, when I was talking to, because one of the, the elements of craft and draft is kind of using the standards that we're working on. So if we're talking about um, character uh, character qualities, right, and how it's affecting the plot events or something like that, um, and we've done a mini lesson on that, and I go sit down with a student and I'm asking them, are they using kind of what we're talking about in our mini lessons in their writing? They might say no or I'm confused. We can turn to those lessons, Mm-hmm. And go through it again. It's it's like a it's like a, t- a tutorial page. It's a map of what we've learned. It's a record of what we learned. It's anchor charts. It's everything in this journal. That way, it's almost like because before we had this, when I would conference, I would try I would try to bring up an old lesson. Right? I would be like, "Do you remember when we talked about this?" Well, and I've done that. yes. And there might have been an anchor chart, right? Um, but if there wasn't. We had to kind of figure out where, uh, like, what was going on. Or I would try to figure out, like, how to remind them, and they wouldn't remember. And I was like, okay, don't forget, just forget that. But this time, we get to go, no, turn to this page, and we would go through it again. And it's just, it's so infinitely valuable. And having it on paper and having kids be able to interact with it in a real way and uh, they can track their reading and their learning in there. I mean, I just, I, that was the smartest decision we ever made was to do that. And then the, having them do it online was intelligent because you know what happens if canvas goes down or their Wi-Fi goes down or their Chromebooks dead, it doesn't matter. We have the journal. Like there's, there's benefits to being disconnected from technology sometimes. Even uh, some of my students were saying, my computer broke down at home, but I was able still to do the assignment. And, yeah. and, and you know, they can still do the assignment on that day, but they have until like Sunday to upload it. I'm still taking uh, all, no matter whether they're online or face-to-face, they're still taking pictures of their work and, and putting it up on on the internet. I'm not internet, yeah. but on canvas. And so they're still doing that. That's how we're turning in all of our assignments because, you know, we're kind of strict about passing papers and stuff back and forth, yep. but they still have that, some, that tangible item in their hand. There's just something magical about having your own work physically in your hands and a book in your hands. I mean, yep. it's all great. I mean, I, I'm glad for digital stuff. I'm glad for my uh, Kindle and all of that because, I mean, I, that's how I do a lot of reading. But, I mean, when you're, you're first starting out and you're a neophyte reader and a neophyte writer, I mean, you really do need that page to pen uh, and book to hand kind of thing. You know, you know what's funny, though, and this just kind of occurred to me listening to you talk just now, which is – you know, it's it's not that we're you know we're not anti technology or anything like that. No. You know, we use it all the time, but it's I th- I feel like we because we were able to kind of talk this through as we were leading up to it and kind of bounce ideas off of each other. I feel mm-hmm. like we were we we're using technology in the way it should be used in the classroom, which is to to augment and support, not to become the main focus. Right. 
It doesn't. What? It doesn't. It doesn't take away great pedagogy. It doesn't take away great practice for getting kids to engage mm-hmm. with reading and writing. Rather, it supports it in the ways that um, it can support it. But we're we're not only relying on it, and that I think we're we're gonna. I think we we really saw the benefits of that as we transitioned from online to in person. Oh yeah, I had I. I mean, just talking to teachers and stuff, and they're all stressed out. I, I just don't know how I'm going to make this happen. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not stressed yeah. out. I mean, I really wasn't stressed out because mm-hmm. I already had their work. I mean, I've got – I mean, the kids, when when they brought their, their notebooks back, and I said, okay, everybody – Put out your notebooks and show them to me. We're going to do that before we ever go to get our Chromebooks out. I want to see your notebooks. And I, on that very first day, I walked around and already had like, I mean, we, I mean, there were pages and pages of work that they had already done. Yes. It was just amazing and it was neat. The other thing too is like the mini lesson that just came to my mind when you were talking was we just did a mini lesson on lead. So you know they had their, they had their five writing project. You know their. When I say five, it's five pre-writing moments that we've yeah. had. I've had them write about memories. So we're doing personal narratives is what we're supposed to be doing. So so I had them write about memories. I've even had them write about ideas. I've had them write about, you know, things that are dear to them, like from Nancy Atwell, her little heart map mm-hmm. um, type thing, the writing territory. So we've been doing some of that, and then they write from all of those. But anyway, at this point, they have actually – we've taught – elements of narrative to them that's a a lesson and that's in their notebook so they use that lesson to go through every one of their pieces and they analyzed every one of their pieces that they've written so far for elements of narrative and based on the parts that they have like if, if they have a piece that had all the parts and also put do you like it because if they don't like it because i told them we're about to spend a lot of time on that one story just yeah. like a real writer would, you know. I mean, you've written books. So I know how long you were spending time on your book that yeah. you were writing. Because <laughs> you were saying, here, listen to this. Read this part. <laughs> so anyway, I remember that. So so trying to put them in that authentic writing experience. You know, yeah. you finally figured out what you want. They take it to test grade. So now what they're going to do is we did lead. So on on the left side, they wrote two new leads. You know, talked about the way we looked at model text. How do different people lead their their pieces and lead their books and all that kind of stuff. And so, so they did that. They wrote two different leads. So now they have three leads. They have to pick one or two or put them all together as one big one or choose which one they want to use as their ending. It doesn't matter. So they do that. Now they're typing their pieces. So we're going back to technology. So we're lifting it off the page, putting it back into technology and now that is a port. That's going to be their portfolio. So, so our, our portfolio is going to be digital. Yes. So that's that's what I'm doing. Well, and you know what? I am it's funny that you're talking about that. I'm setting up my digital portfolios this Friday. Okay. Um, with my students because they've written tons of a lot of them have written stuff. A lot of them uh, I think I've mentioned this on the previous episodes, but because I've looping up with my kids, a lot of them wrote over summer too. Right. Um, and by the way, oh my God, can I just say I really do love I love reading Student writing. It's literally my favorite part of what we do. It is fun. And I didn't start out like that. Like when I first started teaching English, it was – I love talking about books and books were king and all of that stuff. And I still love doing that. Obviously, I'm a reader. I love books. I love talking to kids about literature and everything else. But 
Man, getting when you have kids authentically writing about topics that they care about or try and, and even at like the next level, like I consider that like that's like home base, like kids being able to choose what they want to write about and how right. they want to write it. But when they get to that next level, when they start trying things intentionally, like I had mm-hmm. a student who um, we were talking about setting and so she wanted to see. If she could describe, uh, it was raining that day, so she wanted to write about the rain, and I mean, it was it was so good. Like, I mean, it was it was just something that I was like, this it, this is publishable. Like, this is quality. I mean, now the, you know there was some there's errors and stuff like that, but like in terms of just thought, quality, structure, sentence um, uh, construction. It was it was so good, and then it ended in a way that left me going, "What happens next?" Um, that that moment, like those moments right there, it's it's so powerful to have that on paper. But when when those kids are going to publish, you know, there's something cool and something really. I think that which is why we both love that journal because you know they're mm-hmm. writing in their draft books, they're they're going through it, they're revising, they're taking some conference notes in there, doing all of that stuff in there. And then when they go to publish, it's like, okay, now let's let's make it look the way we want to look digitally. Right. Um and I'm doing the digital portfolio probably for the same reason you are, which is uh, you know, we can't we try to limit touch points in our classrooms because of uh mm-hmm. you know, covid and everything else. So I'm actually excited about that because I, I like the physical portfolio. Um, I wish I could remember the name of that book that I read uh, when we were both coaches about portfolios. It was your book. Yeah. And I have – I don't remember. Do you know what book I'm talking about? I do. I can even describe it. I'll have to look it up, but it's portfolios. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in portfolios. the title of it. And it's, it's not a – Let me it's see a, if I can find it. I think it's a book that's kind of fallen out of – Popularity yeah, it's an old book because all well, you know, Jacob, I've been around for a few years. I don't know if you <laughs> so some of my books are yellow, and that might have been one of those that have turned it was yellow. older, <laughs> it's but, an older book, but, but you, know, I, you know, I've always used portfolios, but that was the yeah. book I think I shared with you. This is a book that made me know that portfolios are, are good, and I've always had a physical portfolio. Go ahead, I didn't mean to interrupt you too much. No, you, no not at all. It's too much. the yeah, too much. But the <laughs> no, the, the that physical portfolio, like there's something about like kids slowly seeing a volume of work and then um more importantly, kind of seeing a physical trace of like them just getting better. Right. And I know writing isn't it's not a linear progression, you know, what you write today tomorrow is not necessarily going to be better or even the next day. Um, but a, pub, a piece is being published. You can see progression within student writing over time, without a doubt, especially if kids are writing a lot. And that's cool for them to have. Mm-hmm. However, the benefit of this digital portfolio, and by the way, I totally, once COVID is you know less dangerous and less of a hazard where it's affecting everything, I'm definitely going to still have physical portfolios. But I still think I'm going to keep these digital portfolios going because just as a unit, right, I'm a department chair on my campus, having our kids have digital portfolios that they can take with them through the three years they're in our middle school, 
um, mm-hmm. seems seems like infinitely valuable data because if our six like when those sixth graders come up to me next year in seventh grade, and I have access to their portfolio with all of their writing in it, guess I know so much about them by going through that and taking notes on their writing, seeing how they progressed. It's all, it's mm-hmm. a good teaching tool for teachers to learn from each other to be like you know I got this is kind of the progression of my students over time, so we can learn in our PLCs a little bit better from one another like that. There's so many possibilities of having that uh, that digital collection of writing that can kind of follow them up through the grade. So I'm curious, though, how are you? Have you set yours up already? The portfolio? No, I mean I'm in the same boat you're in. I've what I have them doing is they they're actually using um you know because all of our students have a Google Drive for uh-huh. with the so they're they're setting up. I'm having to show them how to create a folder. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to create a folder. My, it's going to have, you know, their portfolio with Ocho, you know, with my name on there. And then mm-hmm. they're going to, they're just going to store those. But one of the things that I, I definitely have always used, and that is, so so in my portfolios in the past, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this for this present. And that is, they find the piece that they really want. Okay, so that would be one piece. I usually let them choose the pieces. I don't choose them for them. They choose. And then they do a reflection. So after every, and I've been doing this with Canvas through a discussion. So every Friday, my students have been writing, what did they learn about their writing? What did they learn? Uh, You know, why did they choose this particular piece? And what are they going to do next time to improve their writing? What what's their plan? And so those are some things. I'm sure there's probably some better questions, but they always have this reflection. What did you learn about yourself as a writer? What did you learn about writing in general? And uh, and so it's really kind of neat to watch their progress and how they grow. And then not only that, I have them, as I told you, analyze their own writing. So that would also be in their portfolio. So that kind of helps them. And it helps me kind of see their thinking. So anyway, but that's usually, so I'm trying to, I'll probably have those three pieces in this folder. Uh, we might have to do fol- uh, six weeks, fol- you know, each six weeks and just create one, like a file cabinet. I, I'm not sure any, and there's probably a better way to do it. That's the way I have right now. See, I, uh, I think it would be okay. See, now here we're, we're live brainstorming. I think it would be okay yeah. to, um, this is good. This is exactly, this is why I would listen to this podcast is for these type of moments. But, um, <laughs> I uh, let me back up. I think it would be valuable to have it all just in one space and without even dividing it. Um, I think the only Maybe. reason you would well, I think the only reason you would divide it, and this is a perfectly good reason if this is kind of where your team wants to go or you want to go, which is kind of to track just within the unit itself. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're working on personal mm-hmm. narrative specifically, or if you're working on expository, if you're working on research or something like that. Um, I think that's valuable. I think that potentially gets exponentially messy in terms Mm -hmm. of tracking um, their stuff. I I mean, it's almost like a it's like a pro con list because if it's all just in a folder, um, they could just title their uh, pieces. So their Google documents, they could just title them whatever their title is, and then the genre that they were writing in. Uh huh. And then that's how you could find it if you wanted to, if you wanted to kind of look at, okay, how well did our students perform in writing, informational writing, for instance. Um, right. But I could see you b- splitting up by six weeks. I don't know. What I, What do you think the well, pros and cons Well, I'm not sure. I mean, 
I think I think one of the things in that book. I'm not actually. It's so old. I don't think it's even out there anymore. But but no, there's I, a, quite a few Amazon portfolio somewhere. books. Well, I'm sure it is. I'm just not fine. I'll find the book. Well, you know what? I'll try to find it by the next one. If not, at some point I'll find it and we'll we'll share it. All right. If we but, find it, we'll put a link in the description. Yes, we'll do that. <laughs> okay. So anyway, but. Um, one of the things, one of the things that you have to consider when you're thinking about a portfolio is what is the purpose of that portfolio, mm-hmm. and so it really depends on what you need to know about that student, so or what you want that student to discover about themselves. Yep. Now, I I think if it's about growth, then you want something from the beginning, and you want some things from the middle, and some things at the end, and then the student marks that in that reflective piece, how much have they grown? And I think that's probably why I'm choosing, may choose to do it that way. Now, what would Mm -hmm. be really interesting is I might do that with my on-level students, just, you know, because it's at least there's something there that they are able to do a step-by-step process. I don't know. Like you said, it could get messy. But like with my honor students, what if they chose their organizational pattern? What if they chose how to organize their portfolio? Well, that might even come up after they've written several pieces, right? Well, they'd have to almost write several before that would work, yeah. So mm. right now you're just storing it and then, okay, organize it in the way that you think it should should go. I mean, you'd really definitely see how they think or what's important to them. Well, it, it would be really cool to do um, uh, almost like a end of the year, maybe not end of the year, but some type of continuous kind of project towards the second semester, like you said, where kids are, oh, you know, they're almost creating like, you know how like poetry collections have like there, there sometimes there's intros to certain sections. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that could, might be really cool, especially for honors kids, um, to kind of take, you know, if they have, let's say 30 pieces by February, um, they could take all of those and then decide, okay, these kind of have a thematic link and these have a thematic link. And this is how I could do an intro for this. So it's almost like a, it's a portfolio, but it's also a a book in a way, like a collection of essays, poems, stories, everything else they've written. That could, that could really be cool. Oh, I think I like that idea. That might be something worth trying there. uh, (laughs) Chastain. (laughs) I might, I might, uh, yeah, I like that idea. That's that's one to kind of kind of roll around in in my brain there. See well, how that could it, work. And then if there's um, some resources available, you know, you could print them out, and then it could be tangible, right? I mean, this could be. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've always um, I, I really want to do is start. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Don Graves, where he talks about like, oh, I know, miss Don Graves. You know, I, I know. I, I, I wasn't as fortunate, like with Penny Kittle, to have him as, you know, my mentor, mentor yeah. my co- colleague, my co-writer. But uh, I did have the opportunity to get to see him in a workshop. Didn't you sit with him at a table? Isn't that a story? Yes, yes, he was right there, right in front of me. I loved it. Anyway, Hang on, go we ahead. Have to, no, we're pause. <laughs> no, we have to talk about this real quick. We got time. We have to hear the. I Don have a signed book. That's all that matters. <laughs> So he's such a nice man. He was of a course. he's a very nice man. No, come on. You, you know we're not going to be shy about this. So you were at a training. What training were you? Was it his training? It was his training. It was one of his workshops and and uh this was at a time in our district. Oh, I was young. I was probably I was probably about 29 
Yeah. 27. I mean, I was young. And uh, so it's been a long time because, you know, I'm not young anymore like I was. But <laughs> I'm young in heart. But anyway, but the thing is, he he just would talk about writing like, I mean, it was just amazing yeah. the, what he had in his brain. And, and we could ask him any question. He would just go, oh, yeah, this is how. Yeah, it was just really neat. Yeah. And, he, you know, he would talk about how to organize, um, a, you know, your classroom kind of like, a, you know, Nancy Atwell did with the publication center. And, you know, and mm-hmm. everything they did, I tried. Everything they suggested, I tried. Um, and I really like that, where the kids could go and pick whatever kind of paper they wanted and they could write. You know, we didn't have all those computers back then. We didn't have them. So the unique, the novelty was being able to write and publish on any kind of paper they wanted and any kind of style that they wanted. And it just really adds some, you know, a little novelty to the classroom. So that was one of the things I remember. You know, the the amount of, I mean, the lives that those people have changed, right? Just teachers and kids oh. and... Like mm-hmm. Penny Kittle, Lucy Calkin, you know, everyone that was involved uh, in that yeah, research. Lucy and yeah. Uh it's it's just mind Peter boggling. Elbow, yeah. Nick. Yep, all them. Like the whole mm-hmm. the hi, there's a book called um, Tom. Yeah. Well, there's a book called I think it's called Children at Work. Hang on. I'm gonna cut this me looking for this out. I have it. Literally right here. Maybe I won't cut it out. It'd be funny. Sometimes I leave stuff in that I say I'm going to cut out just because it's hilarious. Children Want to Write is a book that um, it's it's technically it's not by Don Graves, but it's like it's a collection of his the research that they were doing, like the original research yes, that him and Lucy Hawkins and everyone else was doing. Yes. Um, and it's, well, it's like their essays, their observations, what they learned about like how kids write, how kids learn to interact with text. And I mean, it. As a middle school teacher who does not have a background in, like, early literacy and stuff like that, um, totally changed. Well, it, one, it verified some of, like, the, what I was seeing just in my own writing workshop um, to where I had language like, oh, that's why that works, right? Because I've kind of stumbled across stuff um, just by reading other people's books. But hearing, like, the research and kind of the why behind stuff, it totally I mean, it just evolved. It made me a deeper thinker about all mm-hmm. the stuff that we're doing, right? Like, the, what we're doing is totally influenced by the original people that did this research years ago. We're just innovating and right. modifying for modern classrooms and ki- the kids that we have today, right? Like, <laughs> the the oh, core, yeah. the core is still the core. In any case, okay. So back to what I was going to say about sorry, side note. <laughs> so no, okay. So he has this quote about. Um, sharing student writing at, for the other class, like for your class. So he talks about, you know, having kids publish, you know, that's a really good step to really making their writing real and making the writing process real using kids writing in your lesson. Um, yes. Using it as like showing it as literature, right? Cause when you read, you know, if you're reading a sample from, you know, holes, right? And then the next day you read a sample from a kid that wrote something in your classroom. Guess what you're telling those kids? That they are writers. They are producing literature that can be studied just like any other piece of work. You're telling them that what they're doing is bigger than a classroom assignment. And I think that, um, I did that last year. I had a few students who 
I took their pieces and I asked them in advance, obviously. Um, but I was like, Hey, can I, can we teach this? I was like, this is exactly what I want to teach tomorrow. Can I teach this? And they're like, yeah. So like I put up their mini lesson, we read it. I didn't tell them it was from the students at first. And we, the kid was in the class and like, we would be analyzing it. Um, and later we would say, Oh yeah, this is also the author is right here. So let's ask her some questions about, you know, what she wrote. And like, you know, the whole time the student who wrote is beaming, right? Like they're yeah. just, they're, they're on cloud nine. They're, they're loving their lives. They are, they, you know, they're being studied just like any other person. It's always interesting to hear what people think about your writing. Sometimes it's terrifying, right? But um, it's, it's always interesting regardless. And that, those moments last year, I mean, those kids, for that kid that I, I'm talking about, she just published something. Uh, it's called My Country, and it's about all the political unrest that's happening right now. Um, and it, w- it was so good. Like, it was so good. I messaged her. I wrote this long thing, like, as, like, a reader reflection to her. And then when we conferenced the next day, like, I just praised her writing. Like, I was like, but, like, imagine this student in a classroom where her voice wasn't used, where she wasn't encouraged to go after the genres that she was interested in. Like we can quickly stifle kids like that by not just doing these small tweaks. Like it didn't cost me anything as a teacher to encourage her and then to use her writing in a lesson. Um, But I think it, I mean, it, it probably made the difference. Well, you know, you you brought you bring that up, and it, of course, it brought back a memory as well. Uh-huh. And last year, I had a student that, um, well, I had several. I had some good writers last year. Yeah. You know, I'm like, ooh, and I bet I have some this year. I'm about to find out because they're about to start showing me all their work. I'm about to start <laughs> really reading it. But anyway, um, but but it's almost not the same, but very similar situation where I, I ask her permission. Can I show this to the students? Mm-hmm. There's some things about what you did. I really want everybody. You just, you just nailed it. And I want to show your writing. And I didn't do it quite like you did. I wish I'd have done it. Well, you know, hindsight, but sure. <clears throat> the point is I shared it. And like, you're right. She was beaming in the back. Now here's what I didn't know later on at the end of the year, she said, I, I never, I'm not going to get to see you again. And such a, when she realized when we all realized that we were not going to get going to get to come back to these students, right. The ones we had mm-hmm. last year. And well, you get to, cause you looked, but I didn't get to, <laughs> I'm, I'm, spoiled. Job, I'm sorry. You are. So anyway, but I, when she realized that she, at the very end of the year, she sent me a, a note, mm-hmm. she an email, and she said, "Miss Ochoa, I just want you to know that." And, and I'm paraphrasing, but for the most part, she said, "I love science and I love math. They've always been my favorite subjects." But on that day that you shared my writing, I realized I want to be a writer. Thank wow. you. And I'm like, "Wow!" I mean, that's what she told me. I, I have the note. I saved it. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. that's that's one of those testimonies that keeps you going. It's those little things you go, okay, okay, okay. Maybe so-and-so over here, this little kid had a little struggle. But this one here, we struggled through it. And, you know, it keeps you going, these well, moments. Since we're going down memory lane, so I have. Oh, okay. Well, why not, right? This is. Yeah, <clears throat> so last year, um, you know, it's so funny. Like, I always. Last year was a great year. You know, I I thought the year before I became a literacy coach, I really thought 
that I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be better than that. Like that was, it was such a good year. Um, we had such good growth with kids. Um, then I was a literacy coach, learned tons of stuff, you know, working besides you and just being in that oh, world. Um, mm-hmm. but then when I came back, you know, I was on fire because I was like, no, this is where I want to be. You know, I was just super focused on creating the best classroom I could. And it, it a shame that it got cut short, but, uh, just thinking about all the the gains we made and and the the stuff that we did beyond curriculum like i had a student who she was in my on level class she 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 was great like she was never negative about english but she is a english language learner she struggled uh with a lot of stuff she struggled with her house like home stuff um she had uh, issues with like depression and anxiety and stuff like that and she did horrible on tests and she just thought she was bad at english right like she just had kind of the whole world mm-hmm. working against her and then on top of that um had like her friends were or, like put her in a bad place you know it was just like everything you could imagine that was happening was pretty much happening and I just worked with her and as she started writing, her form was bad and her word choice was off and her grammar was a little rough and all this other stuff. But her content, what she was trying to say was great Um, because kids with experiences, kids with uh, stories to tell, um, one, it resonates with me because it kind of represents my childhood a little bit. But it was also uh, they, they, they can really... Like writing and and writing within freedom within a classroom empowers those kids more than any other kid. I think I think those kids benefit the most because what they have to say doesn't fit in a three paragraph essay about telling me why your why it's good to have best friends. Right? They're the, what the, the stories they want to tell, the language they have, the experiences they have is deeper than what school basic curriculum allows, if that makes sense. So taking this, this young lady and then offering her ways to write in different ways about a little bit less than halfway through the year, right before Christmas, I reached out to her parents. I was like, Hey, I want your daughter to go into honors. And they're like, what? You know, she only makes 70. She barely passed tests. I'm like, no, she's going to be great. I was like, I want her around. I want her in, in a place where thinking is, is everywhere, right? Like the, like kids are writing at different levels. It's going to, she's going to have more to bounce off of. Um, she wasn't the only student I did this for. I love poaching kids from on-level classes and putting them in honors classes. Um, it's just one of my favorite things to do, but this girl, right? So she, she struggled. She got into honors. She was, she was kind of mad at me. She was like, I'm failing, blah, blah, blah. And she would fail the test and like, she would do all these other things, but she kept writing. She kept publishing. She kept doing great. She kept writing over summer. She has written about four pieces already. We've been in school for about three weeks and it is so good. She, we did a pretest that was at the seventh grade, uh, state test level, seventh grade star test. I just gave it as a pretest to see where they were. She made a 90. She missed one question. She is dominating in writing. She's happier than she's ever been. But I'm like, this, what we're talking about here, what workshop is, and I think why you and I are ultimately obsessed over it is mm-hmm. it's, it's all about the workshop is getting kids to actually work on the work, right? And not schoolwork, not the busy work of school, not the curriculum necessarily, but the actual work of reading and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're fortunate to be in a district where our curriculum does mimic uh, or does support 
us doing workshop, right? Right. Um, and, and I will always be infinitely <laughs> excited that we're in a district that has that and that we have a curriculum leader, for instance, who is very workshop-based and Abydos-trained and um, mm-hmm. loves authentic reading and writing. Not every teacher is as fortunate. But this idea of freeing kids to read and write um, – what their choice is, and then teaching according to where their interests go and using great models and having kids publish and view themselves as readers and writers like that, it empowers kids. It moves them in ways that, quite frankly, assigning writing and grading doesn't work. You know, you and I used to say, are we writing assigners or are we writing teachers? And I think that's a question every teacher should ask themselves. Right, and I think that goes as well, even with reading. Yeah, uh, you know, are you a, a reading? Are, are, do you assign the reading, or do you teach these kids to read, and mm. you give them those choices? It's so it's very important. A, a thought came to my mind while you were talking, and I and I think one of the things, like like you know, I have quite a few English language learners this year. Yeah. Well, I do almost every year, but for some reason this year, like they don't speak English. I have several that have, and I know you, you come from a place just like that. So you know what I'm talking about, but their experiences, just even getting into, they don't think they have a voice that one of the things that you have to do at the beginning. And I think that's why I like these Nancy Atwell's writing territories and Paula Brock's um, quick list and, you know, those kinds of things. I, I like doing that at the beginning a lot. I do a lot of that at the beginning. And then I do some in the middle and then I do some more at the end because their their experiences change. Their ideas change. But by doing that, they don't think that that their ideas or their life is rich enough to write about. And by putting those ideas down and then showing them how to write about what they know most, which is their own life, that's that's where the magic is. Because then what happens is what exactly what you're talking about. For the first time, they actually have a voice. And then when you you when you listen to it as a teacher and you, and like you said, it's more enjoyable to read their writing now because it's their voices. It's not your assignment. It's it's what they have to say. And then if you can take that and celebrate where that child is and make them like you did with your child, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they just explode. It's like all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. And that is the magic, I think, that happens in the classroom that keeps me excited and coming back year after year. And it's just really fun. I enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, there's... I want to go teach. I'm ready to go teach right now. <laughs> wait, you got to uh, wait. You got to wait. I, I know. Well, and this is, I mean, you're, you're 100% <laughs> right. Like this is, you know, there's there's a whole lot of crap that's on our plates right now. And there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, I mean, there's garbage that we have to deal with. And there's, there's, there's uh, stuff that's just being pushed onto teachers right now that are it, it, unrealistic in so many ways. But, you know, what makes me deal with that is... I, I'm, I'm so excited to walk in and see what my kids want to write. You know, it's, it's so funny that my kids have almost done the pendulum swing of, you know, we, we, every day we read and write, we try, I, we try to read for at least, um, 15 minutes. Usually we squeeze in about 20 and then we try to write for a solid, you know, 20 to 30, um, give or take, right. Depending on the mini lesson, depending on interruptions, all that fun stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
this year, so far, th- actually, well, this week, right? My whole week of back face to face, we would do the mini lesson, we would go read. And towards the end, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes in of reading, you know, kids are journaling in their craft book, they're writing down their observations, they're connecting it to the mini lesson, they're doing all that fun stuff. And then I keep I, I slowly, one at a time, they go, hey, can we write? Can I write now? Can we write? Can we write? Can we write? And that, that, dude, kids wanting to write. Like there's, I have sat in so many trainings, uh, trainings with you, like not with you, but like in, like when you and I are sitting together and listening to teachers talk, right? Uh-huh. To where they're like, kids just won't write. Kids won't do this. Kids won't do that. You know what? If, yeah. if we stop assigning crappy stuff for them to write, they're going to want to write because it's who doesn't every person person like this is just a life lesson that every person wants to feel valued every person wants to have their voice amplified they want to know that what they're saying matters you know one of the scariest parts of doing a podcast right is like who's going to listen to us talk right that was like that you know that's the that's the major thing but you know as people listen and share and you know when I did teach me teacher in the beginning like I did it because it was fun, but I knew that, like, I was like, you know, if people don't listen, you know, I'll just stop eventually. But the the podcast is still going several years later because people are listening. That my voice is validated in some way, and that's that's what kids need. It's what kids want. It's it's what teachers can do. Um, but the moment we only assign writing, the moment we steal choice away, the moment we make everything a, a strict rubric that they have to follow. Um, all of those steps, not saying any of those are bad, but those over and over again, what it does is it robs kids of voice. And then they start looking at your class as a place where they, they don't have a voice. You're just, a, you're just another assigner of reading and writing. And I think when, I think that the turn that we took eventually and that we keep going down is like, you know what, what if we don't, assign necessarily? What if we nudge? What if we introduce model and encourage and then follow wherever that goes? And it's, it's a scary path, right? It's like teaching dangerously. I don't know who, I don't know where that phrase comes from. Do you know who said that teach dangerously? I I think it it might be Kittle or Gallagher. I don't know. Someone listening probably has heard that phrase, but that, that phrase of teaching dangerously of, of going out into the wilderness and saying, you know what, let's find out where we go and trust the process. That, that is what keeps me going back. That's what keeps me like, even in COVID era teaching when everything is a hot mess, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm so excited for Monday. No, I am too. And, uh, I just can't, I mean, I can't say enough about how over the years, and I've and I've done this with teachers. I've done this with uh, actually elementary. I've even been. I've mm. not taught elementary, but I have gone in to elementary schools and helped them with their writing, uh, teaching the yeah. teaching of writing. So I've done some of that. But it doesn't matter. This process, if what you said, you know, with what you just said, if you follow that process and you believe in it. It just works. I mean, it just works. And it worked with me, as I told you at the very beginning. I mean, four days in, I mean, the whole world turned into a storybook. I mean, there was a story in the sun. I mean, everywhere I went, there was a story. It was like, oh, my God, I have to write. I have to write. And that's that's what this does. And it works. I've seen it work with, with little ones, kindergarten, all the way up to adults, and the first time that adult shares, uh, you know, when I, I teach that 
uh, Abydos writing workshop. Mm-hmm. Okay, on the first day that we all come back to share, and everybody's been writing and writing and writing, and now it's time for them to choose one to share, they all kind of go, <gasps> I mean, the adults do. So you know the kids do, if the adults do. But then, inevitably, we I always put out Kleenexes because I guarantee you every group will have a crier. Every group because <laughs> they are writing from their hearts. They're writing and they're putting everything out there. And when they put it all out there, you can't help but have emotion. Yeah. So last year, that just brought up the first time I did the sharing last year because I had been away from the classroom which you talked me to go back in, talk, talk me into it. And I did. I'm really glad that I have done it. I miss the kids and now I know why. Uh, but that very first day, sure enough, the toughest, toughest boy I had. The t- I mean, I'm telling you, he's tough. He doesn't do anything. He's like, not me. I don't have to. I mean, he was tough. And I, sure enough, I had to go get the Kleenexes. <laughs> and it was just... <laughs> He wrote about his dog and his, it was like, it was a memory. He had no idea it would impact him like that. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of sharing that piece of writing, he realized how much he missed his dog and he was around friends. I carefully chose the groups. I don't just put them with anybody uh-huh. and those, and, and the, the kids, Ms. Ochoa, this boy is crying and and it's okay that he is because it made me cry too. Do we have any Kleenexes? I don't want anybody to see us crying. <laughs> so, it was a group of boys and they were just like, oh, we're a dog. So it does not matter. That was seventh grade. So oh, toughest man. boy I had. We brought him to tears right on the first share. <laughs> so anyway. I can't think of a better way to end this episode. You, this was a, this was what we call this is an epic conversation. This is <laughs> this is the I, I every, we covered so much. We went from our experiences oh, we to went. teaching stuff. I mean, we uh, we we covered the landscape, Miss Ochoa, on this one. And I just what a, what that's a fantastic story. I don't I don't think you've ever told me that one. That was interesting <laughs> to hear. That's the power of sharing, the power of writing, but. Man, if anyone is interested in finding more Craft and Giraffe, visit us at craftandgiraffeworkshop.com where you can find every episode. This is episode three, so if you're listening to it five years from now, there's probably more episodes to go to. But if you're just listening to it uh, in September of 2020 during COVID-era teaching, there's only three episodes. But go check those out if you haven't already. Um, We talk about our beliefs. We talk about getting prepared for digital learning and then this episode. So we're going to continue on these great conversations about reading, writing, workshop, or continue sharing our experiences using our craft and draft system that was designed by both of us when we were both academic and literacy coaches. And we'll be continuing just bringing great teacher talk for you. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app that you are using. Hit that five-star button. If you are feeling extra, type a few words. Let us know what you thought of the podcast. Those reviews truly do help podcasts like this grow because teachers are so used to finding resources and realizing those those resources are not valuable. So if you believe that this podcast is valuable, drop a few words, leave that five-star rating. It really does help teachers find us. It helps everyone come together and just learn about reading writing workshop thank you in advance for doing that thank you for sharing the podcast thank you for joining us in this conversation we release podcast every single friday but until then you guys know that we are here for you 